On this episode of Water Flying, we are joined by Don Goodman to discuss seaplane flying in the Pacific Northwest of the United States. You are listening to Water Flying, a show dedicated to all things seaplanes. Brought to you by the Seaplane Pilots Association. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm the executive director of the Seaplane Pilots Association, which is the world's largest nonprofit advocacy organization dedicated to the protection and promotion of the water flying community. Climb aboard! We're about to start today's episode. Well, welcome to Water Flying. Today we're joined by Don Goodman, a longtime friend. SPA field director, an active member of the Washington Seaplane Pilots Association, and owner of a gorgeous Cessna 182 on straight floats. Don, we're sitting here at the Northwest Aviation Conference after missing a year with COVID in Puyallup, Washington. It's a show that has become a tradition for us uh, in late February for over 20 years now. Uh, I greatly appreciate you taking out time on this typical Seattle morning <laughs> uh, to record with us today. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here. It's always great to be at the uh, Northwest Aviation Con- Conference and this opportunity to talk to you about flying in the Pacific North- Northwest is a welcome opportunity for me. Awesome. Well, we've been friends a long time. Enjoyed uh, having you appear in Water Flying Magazine, among other places, and now we get you on the podcast, so that's pretty cool. So let's uh, start by telling our listeners a little bit of uh, your backstory of what led you to become a pilot and then ultimately a seaplane owner-operator. What was that journey like? Well, Steve, I grew up in the Seattle area, so I've seen float planes as a little kid, and I think probably that put a seed in my little brain at that time, that that might be something that's interesting for me. Uh, But actually, before I really got a passion for flying, uh, my avocation was mountain climbing. Wow, that's an unusual avocation. Not so much in the Northwest. There's quite a a few mountains out here, Steve. And uh, so uh, I started mountain climbing as a a very young, you know, 15, 16-year-old, where a lot of people are starting to get their pilot's license. I was mountain climbing. But what really got me fired up about float flying was in 1977, I was uh, 21, and uh, I had gotten invited to go on a mountaineering expedition to British Columbia okay. to try to climb the second highest mountain in British Columbia. And uh, we were going to access that mountain, it's very remote, by float plane. And uh, that was my first exposure and the first time I, flown in a, I flew in a float plane. It was a, a beaver, of course naturally. And uh, after that expedition where we got dropped off by that pilot and uh, he had to come back and pick us up. Otherwise, we were going to be walking for about a week to get out of there. I really got not only an appreciation for what float plane flying can do and where it can take you, uh, but just how fun it seemed. Wow. And, And so that really was, I think, the foundation for my interest in flying floats. Wow. That's an amazing story. So I don't think we've had a someone that's had i know we have not had a mountain climber on the show before and i never knew that we've known each other for like two decades and i didn't know that story so that's awesome (laughs) yeah well it's interesting now because uh my wife you know shares that passion for mountaineering as i did and we did a lot of things together 
And now she likes to say that, you know, instead of climbing over the mountains, we fly over them, and it's kind of a lot nicer in some ways. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So you started a long time ago on the the rating side of it, and then there was a little bit of a break. Yeah, I think I'm probably not atypical at all. Uh, You Mm -hmm. hear this story a lot about unfinished business. And for me, uh, I... You know, I, I came out of that trip, uh, that mountain climbing trip, and I thought, I really want to uh, learn to fly. Um, and so, but it wasn't until 1984, 85 time, mid-80s, that I actually started to pursue it. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was working for the Boeing Company, and they had a great flying club. Um, so I had access to aircraft. Which actually has seaplanes, which that, is unusual. They do have a seaplane. Um but they didn't at that time. So, I, okay. of course, I was just focused on my, uh, you know, single-engine land rating. I soloed in 1985 in the classic run out of money, run out of time, and uh, we just got married. And my wife was kind of saying, do uh, you really think we can afford for you to continue to do this? I thought, no, you're right. So I stopped. Okay. And, 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 I, and I had a long halt um, in – but it was always unfinished business and still a passion in, in the back of my mind. Uh, so it wasn't until 20, two, two, yes, 2012 uh, that I um, picked it up again. Okay. With the, again, with the Boeing Boeing's Flying Club. And I got my uh, single engine land certificate in uh, 2013. So that was like a 25-year gap. It was, uh, it was a huge gap. Wow. A huge gap. Oh, I'm glad you came back. I'm glad. I, I think you are I, too. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's uh, it's been an, an amazing journey, and it's now just just not even ten years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know you've packed a lot into that ten years. So uh, you got back into flying, finished your single engine land. Then where'd you go do your uh, single engine C? I uh, I did it at uh, Rainier Flying Services, which okay, is good which was just really getting going at that time at, to rent in Washington, the mm-hmm. south end of Lake Union. And I was uh, did my primary training. Uh, actually, Austin Watson, who's a field director here for SPA also, mm-hmm. I was his first float in, uh, student. He had wow. just got a CFI. So we went through that journey together, uh, he, you know, me getting my seaplane rating and he having his first student. Uh-huh. Together in an American Champion eight um, uh, GCBC, okay, which was wow. a, f- a fun airplane to fly. And it actually, uh, it's interesting. I remember uh, the first time I got in that airplane. I had we got in the airplane. I mean, we we talked about the airplane, but we first time we were on the water in it, and or at the dock. And I sat down, and uh, uh, you know, it's um, uh, it was a, a very different airplane for me because I'd taken all my training in one seventy twos and, and mm-hmm. done that. And I said to Austin, I said, I've never flown a stick airplane before. So <laughs> it was like, you know, there was a couple of new things going on that day. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. And and Austin was a Boeing employee as well. Did you guys know each other from work? Or uh, No, we met. See, I joined WSPA before I, I had my float rating. Uh-huh. And so that just because, uh, and SPA for that matter. Okay. Because I knew that was where I was headed uh-huh. at that time. And, and so I had met Austin through WSPA. Okay. Wow. Yeah, Washington Seaplane. Oh, it's such a big company, 140,000 employees or whatever here in the local area that easy to understand you didn't know. So, and he was in a pretty specialized area. So, uh, you do your single engine C and then pretty quickly became an aircraft owner. Actually, I became an aircraft owner before 
before getting my seaplane rating. All righty then. Yeah, so yeah. you had the bug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, in the airplane that we bought, which was uh, about a six months after I got my single engine land rating, okay, it was a uh, 182P model, a 76, that the prior owner had installed uh, the float conversion kit uh, and all the structural mods uh, for it to be a seaplane. And it actually had been on floats uh, the year before I acquired it. But between that time and when the owner was selling the airplane, he had sold the floats. Oh, wow. So okay. I, we ended up with a float-capable airplane. airplane, but without floats, which in retrospect was actually a good thing because I had a year on the airplane of experience. Getting to know the airplane. and Know the airplane on wheels. Mm-hmm. And, and then in um, 2015... Uh, bought a, another set of floats. It was uh, uh, outfitted structurally for aerosets. Okay. And a Seaplane West mod at that time. Very now, good. Now nice owned, mod. Nice. Yep. Now owned by Acorn. Um, and so it was all set up for 3,500 L's, uh, which is the straight, uh, straight Aeroset float. float for yep. the 182. For the 182. Yep. And uh, so uh, Seaplanes West actually did the, did the install uh, up in Canada. Yep. Jimmy Schwerman. Jimmy Schwerman. <laughs> yeah. Jimmy did a great job on it and got it refloated. It was really interesting because his flow plane operation is uh, about a mile north. It's at, um, it's at Vernon. Okay. And yeah. uh, Vernon, BC. And it was. It's not there now. But uh, he had, uh, he had a, one of the funky uh, uh, truck dollies that, uh, to move airplanes. And yeah, Lake Hood type dolly. Yeah. Yeah. And we literally refloated that airplane at the hangar at his facility. He gets in this truck, we lift it up, and we're going down the road <laughs> a mile to get to, to the lake where we can put it in the water. And I, it was really an amazing, because we were following in the following car, and there's cars going underneath the wings. And I'm thinking, this, this could end up bad. But Jimmy, he knew what he was doing, and he had done it many times. Wow. And I, I think, I, I think, Maybe not been actually to code. But <laughs> <laughs> Knowing Jimmy, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. He gets it, the job done. He gets the job done. It, yeah. And we got in the water. And, I, of course, I was really fresh. I probably you know, only had about you know, 20 or 30 hours in float planes, which is actually quite a bit, I guess. Uh, Austin and I took our time because uh-huh. I said, I don't want just the rating. I want to understand Good. really how to That's fly the floats. right approach, yeah. as you know. So, so we had taken our time, but I didn't have a lot of float time, and none in the 182, of course. And uh, we launched the airplane. We did a functional check flight uh, for about 20 minutes, did a couple landings. I got back down to the beach. He said, have a good time going home. <laughs> and oh, he God. drove off, and we were, you know, we were on our own. Yeah. Uh, but it, it all worked out. Well, I think it's great because uh, I want to dedicate a future episode to the 182 because I always like talking. We're, we're trying to do a continuing series where we talk about individual aircraft types. And I really like the 182 as a seaplane conversion. I think it's a great seaplane conversion. I think it makes a great seaplane. And uh, obviously, I think you've enjoyed it. And uh, so uh, in a future episode, we'll go into great detail about some of the options that are available about uh, for the 182 as a flow plane, because there's several different conversions uh, at different price ranges and performance levels and everything else. And uh, I, again, I think it makes a great, great seaplane. Yeah, it, it has worked out. I mean, I frankly went in rather naive about that whole 
uh, aspect of it, but it has worked out well for us, and, and it, it's, got, uh, it's got a really good payload. We like to do long trips, and, um, you know, I can get, in the configuration, we have about 1,000 pounds useful load on straight floats. That's very respectable. Yeah, very respectable. And, and uh, did you look for a 182, or were you, you know, was that your first choice? Because it's not the common choice. Most people will probably look at a 180, 185. Were you set on the 182, or was it because this one was available? I think it was more about, and I'm trying to reflect on that, frankly, Steve, but I think I was interested in that airframe, and and, and, and flow flying was not the primary focus at when I acquired the airplane. Mm-hmm. But when I saw this 182 that had the structural mods and was float ready, but didn't have floats, I thought, wow, what a great combination. And I bought it from, you know, the kind of person you want to buy an airplane from uh, really had uh, done it. He was, a, he was a Delta pilot and also an A&P and just had done a wonderful job with the airplane. So we were lucky to get it. Good, good. Well, let's talk about um, uh, flying here in the Pacific Northwest. So we are sitting, uh, we experienced some great weather uh, when we first got here, and I got to enjoy some flying with Slade uh, with a couple of different people. Uh, And now it's kind of returned to typical uh, Pacific Northwest weather. But uh, I've been flying here for like 20 years uh, and I still feel like a complete neophyte here. I mean, I, I don't think I've even scratched the surface with the opportunities that exist here in the Pacific Northwest because there's just so much between inland and between island flying, going north. Um, talk to us about, I mean, that's really the, the heart of this episode is talking about all these opportunities here in the Pacific Northwest. What can you uh, elaborate on that? Well, one thing you just pointed out is, yeah, you, you, you came at a good day, and you, you got a day's <laughs> worth of flying in, and you were lucky to do that in February because we do have a lot of clouds, mm-hmm. and we do have a lot of mountains. And so that combination in itself can present a lot of challenges. And uh, At 38 degrees and rain, so as you <laughs> climb up, you're in icing conditions yeah. and almost nothing. So Right, yeah. Even if you're IFR flying, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a big challenge. And, of course, we don't do much of that with our float planes, um, at least I don't anyhow. Uh, but I, I would also, so we got clouds and mountains, but, and we're, I think the way to describe in my view is, uh, we don't have as many facilities as might be in some other areas. For example, in Florida or Mm -hmm. Minnesota, where there seems to be a a large number of seaplane bases that are charted and facilities are available. Uh, in Washington State, there's about approximately 15 charted seaplane bases, of which about 10 are actually active. Uh, uh, so maybe lacking a bit in facilities, but really rich in opportunities. Mm-hmm. And it, it, takes, it does take a while to get a sense for what those opportunities are. And some of the resources that the local pilot community uses here is the SPA wash, uh, Water Landing Directory, uh, also, the uh, Washington Seaplane Pilots Association has a destination page. Yeah, they've done a great job with that. They on, deserve a lot of credit. Yeah, it's it's a good it's a good f- fairly simplistic tool. It's just on the website. Um, but what it does, it in addition to show you areas that are open and where to fly, it talks about where not to fly. Mm-hmm. A couple of the other challenges here we talked about weather, but also. There are uh, quite a few water bodies that are not open to seaplanes. Okay. And those are mainly, mainly two categories. One, those that are in the alpine areas mm-hmm. that are surrounded by National Park. 
uh, or wilderness areas, of which there's quite a few. Um, and then also reservoirs or off limits. There's quite a few reservoirs, okay. man-made reservoirs. Um, and then there's a few, there's a handful of, I would call them semi-private lakes or lakes that have uh, covenant restrictions with respect to horsepower and um, and and other speed rest- limits and speed other limits. things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, other th- other than other than those limitations, uh, there there are a lot of opportunities. But it, it takes it takes a bit of local knowledge, and I think that's where uh, having access to the field directors for somebody who's coming to the area and wants to do float float flying is is really beneficial. Yeah, and so again. I would encourage if you want to, if you have any inclination at all to come to the Pacific Northwest and enjoy, particularly Washington, where there's just these amazing opportunities, uh, reach out to the Seaplane Pilots Association Field Director Network. You can find that on the Washington State page on the seaplanes.org website or go to Washington Seaplane Pilots Association and you can get in touch with them. And again, they have a whole bunch of resources. Uh, and it's really nice because uh, we've enjoyed a great relationship. Uh, Stephen Ratzlaff, president, is on our board as well. And that was a move that I wanted to make to make sure that our regional associations were supported and were more engaged with us uh, as an international organization. And uh, we've done a lot of work. I tell you what, we've done a lot of work uh, in the last 10 years, especially together. Uh, it's, been, it's been a good ride and we're far from done. <laughs> Well, it's a great partnership, and, and those are the kinds of things that we need in the float plane flying community to continue to be able to access the water bodies that we'd like to fly into. Mm-hmm. One of the other things that we're very aware of in Washington State and the Washington Seaplane Pilots Association has been focused along with SPA is regarding the uh, aquatic invasive species. Yes. And Washington is fortunate to uh, be one of the state's um, west of the Mississippi, where uh, we don't have the quagga or zebra mussel issue, and it's our goal in the float flying community to make sure keep we keep it out. Make we sure we're not out. part of the problem. Yeah, we're not part of the problem. We, yeah. we can't be part of the problem. And um, in, in we're currently on year four of uh, uh, Washington Fish and Wildlife has approved our uh, aquatic invasive species Online program. video and test and, program. And testing program, which is an annual program that, that when you do that program and you follow the protocols, uh, you have access to, uh, you are basically cleared to land in water bodies in Washington, Idaho, Oregon, and Montana. And so it's a, it's a great program that uh, we're, we're really proud to have worked with SPA together to get it done. Yeah. And and we we value that benefit really, really closely. So it's uh, it's not to scare people off, but it is something It's important. That it's, it's a fact really of life, important. especially here in the West. And uh, the government organizations, our partners that we work with, have been really good about providing us all of the locations where invasive species exist. That is all in the water, the SPA Water Landing Directory app. And uh, we get regular updates, and uh, we go through, filter the information, and identify the bodies of water that have hit positive for invasive species. But again, we don't have quagga and zebra, which are the two big offenders that uh, I think we're worried about in the the animal world, at least. So, uh, and we're trying to get all the field directors. I think we've talked about it, you know, obviously many times on the podcast. I spend a tremendous amount of my time between invasive species and safety just bouncing back and forth between safety and invasive species in many cases. And 
Um, we're trying to get all the field directors. We've had our entire board of directors go through the uh, government level with two invasive species training. And now we're trying to uh, get the field directors uh, to go through that uh, WIT2 training. And um, it's just been on pause because of COVID, but that's the next step is to get the field directors through. And of course, with a great focus on our field directors here in the West. So good stuff. So talk about what are some of your adventures? What what are this, your favorite places to go with your airplane? I mean, again, there's a lot of opportunities heading up into the islands and, and then the inland. Where do you spend the majority of your time and what are some of those destinations look like? Well, we've, the last couple of years, very frankly, we've spent more of our time in Washington than we had prior years because our real focus had been Canada. And not that there's great not great opportunities in Washington, but uh, Canada, I our airplane is based up in Bellingham, which is about 20 nautical south of the Canadian border. Mm-hmm. And so going north for us was, especially on longer trips, was was our big game. Yeah. Uh, but since we haven't been able to do that the last couple of years, you know, we've had more opportunities to spend more time in Washington. And you, you talked about the uh, the islands and the, the kind of classic set of islands here in the northwest, which are very popular, is, uh, is the San Juan Islands, mm-hmm. which are... Uh, uh, in north, the very northwest, not corner, but right, uh, just kind of a beam Victoria uh, uh, on Vancouver Island, and and it's a uh, it, it's an interesting, very interesting set of islands that's uh, a bit of rain shadowed, so it's <laughs> yes. actually drier than uh, Seattle itself. Wow! Uh, just because of the weather patterns and the Olympic Mountains, which are to the southwest of them, uh, provide a rain shadow effect. So uh, it's a little bit better weather. And, of course, it's a moderated marine environment anyhow, so it doesn't get terribly cold. Mm-hmm. Um, There's some big water out there, though. When you're flying across the strait, it's, uh, it's big water, and it can be low ceilings out there at the same time. That's why it's great to be in a float plane. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you look down, and the water looks pretty darn ugly at times. And, again, a lot of times the ceiling's like 2,000 feet or something or less. Yeah. Um, but it's gorgeous. I mean, it's just so gorgeous. Yeah. And well, you've talked about, you, you mentioned big water, and that certainly is a challenge uh, on the salt. Mm-hmm. And um, we can also get water, big water issues on our freshwater lakes that are very popular due to boating. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, big water, big water can be an issue for the, the smaller float planes or uh, flying hulls. And, um, uh, so it's a it's a it's definitely an issue that we we want to be very conscious about, um, uh, but I I do like being on floats when when we're over the water. Obviously, regardless if it's big or not, it's yeah. just it's just comforting to know that you got floats underneath you. So uh, islands, I mean, there's quite a few opportunities there. Where do you find your again? Do you spend more time inland or, or in the islands? Where do you where do you? It's tend about to... for us. It's about half and half. Steve. Okay, there's. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, facilities on the islands on salt is is a bit limited. Okay. Uh, for example, in the San Juan Islands themselves, there are mm-hmm. three there are three float plane bases charted on the on the chart and have float plane docking, but only one of those is a is a fully public uh, float plane dock. That's float at Friday dock. Harbor on San Juan Island. Okay. And that's a that's a great destination to especially for out of town people to come and you can dock and have lunch and you know get a great scenic uh, yeah. at relatively low altitude of the, of the San Juan Islands. And all these islands have marinas. I mean, it's amazing the boat amount of boat traffic and the boating population here 
in this region is just, again, uh, unbelievable. Um, so all of these islands have marinas, but there's also pilings uh, at the majority of the docks, which is very challenging. Now, Paulsbo has put in seaplane docks. Uh, we use some seaplane docks in Paulsbo for our member adventure. Uh, do you go out there? Uh, yes. Uh, so we're, we're, we're talking about salt water now, so this will you know, illuminate some people who don't like to go on salt. Mm-hmm. That's not myself. Um, we do a lot of additional maintenance on, on especially the 182, which has no corrosion protection whatsoever huh. from the factory. So, um, But we have to really uh, kind of ramp up our protocol for uh, anti-corrosion uh, and corrosion maintenance, especially on salt. But our feeling is it's worth it. Yeah, it, the it really is worth it. There. And Pulsebo does have a, a seaplane dock. Uh, seasonally, they occasionally put in an expanded seaplane dock. Pulsebo is near Bremerton, it's on the Olympic Peninsula, mm-hmm. and it's a great destination also. Beautiful town. Uh, and for us, it was very accommodating. Uh, they put big docks in so we could bring in like four otters because we had a big group with the member adventure, and they just rolled out the red carpet. I mean, that town really went all out for us. Um, then we went up to uh, Port Townsend. Let's see. Where did we go? We went for a Sunday brunch somewhere as well. Okay. But uh, Friday Harbor Roach, uh, flying with Kenmore, hitting a lot of these islands. Uh, Isabel, beautiful uh, mountain lake uh, with a little campground. You guys even put in a uh, restroom facility up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Steve was talking about a, uh, a, a an alpine lake that is one, one of the alpine lakes that is open to float planes. It's actually now surrounded by wilderness, defined, uh, designated wilderness, but uh, fortunately through the efforts of the float flying community, we were able to grandfather that lake in. And so it is a really neat destination. Uh, it is not it is a challenging destination. So yes, it's, it is. <laughs> it's, not, it's not one to go in lightly without local knowledge about how to make the approach. It's surrounded by high terrain, and it's a 2,800 feet. So it, you've got some destiny alti- altitude issues. It's not a super long lake either. It's about a mile and a half. So and you drop in there, and there's just no other man-made anything in there. It's just you're just surrounded by beauty. The only go, man-made thing there is the, is the toilet, toilet that we put in. <laughs> I that, know we're doing our part. <laughs> yeah. No, that was a really, so it was a cooperative effort between the, uh, uh, with the U.S. Forest Service and, and the Washington Seaplane Pilots Association. Yeah. Uh, they, they recognized it was th- this particular beach that we go into there is also used by people who kayak or canoe into it mm-hmm. uh, from the end of the lake where the trail ends. Uh, so it was, it was becoming an issue, and uh, uh, they supplied the toilet, and we <laughs> flew it in and, and installed it. And, there you uh, go. And it's, yeah, we, it's we're going to put a plaque on it. But uh, we just, <laughs> I keep telling Steve Ratzlaff that if we're going to make it to Steve Ratzlaff Memorial Toilet at some time, but I, he's not going for that. Okay. <laughs> so your airplane is unique in it that it's a, a nose dragger, and you actually can go back and forth between floats and wheels, which for the tailwheel airplanes is probably more common but having a 182 with the tricycle gear um it's not as common for people probably to go back and forth between floats and wheels and you actually do that in this time of the year yeah yeah i think we probably operate that a little bit uniquely in that way i don't know for sure but um it 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 uh, having the nose gear does add uh, an additional time mm-hmm. uh, and to a float conversion 
Uh, I think one of the, Steve, one of the reasons that we've been doing it is we're very, very fortunate to have very close to where we live uh, a, a combination water, uh, lake, uh, grass strip combination that allows us to, to do that conversion. And uh, this will be, let's see, this will be the um, eighth year this year that we've done that. Uh, so we're getting pretty good at it. Uh, uh, that is the, the gentleman, uh, AMPIA, who, who has the facility, myself and two of my friends, uh, we get on it. And after, after 16 conversions, you know, either on or off, uh, we know what each person's yeah. doing. Cool. That's <laughs> awesome. And I think it's good you exercise the airplane. You get to enjoy both sides of the airplane that way. So in the state of Washington, currently you're number four in the United States for seaplane pilot population. Uh, so, uh, Florida, number one, Alaska, number two, California, number three, Alaska, uh, Washington, number four, currently there's a very vibrant, I mean, of course I get surrounded. I go to all the places with where the concentrations of seaplanes are. So it seems like, uh, probably even more to me. Um, but what's the, what's the community like? I mean, I, you go to places like Kenmore, you see a lot of straight floats. Uh, what's the breakout between straight floats and amphibious floats? And do you see, you're on straights. Do you see any huge disadvantage to being on straights? Are there enough opportunities for you on straights that it's not really a disadvantage? Well, yeah, it's as you. I, I know you probably had whole podcasts on uh, straights versus amphibs <laughs> because it's a really interesting discussion. Yeah, and there's a lot of pros and cons for both. Out in the Northwest, um, it seems to me, Steve, that there's you know the amphib community is growing, and I think that might be. A national trend that's a, just the trend nationwide trend. absolutely yeah, yeah. Um, and it is a challenge because uh, for us i'm the configuration we have with the engine combination we have uh, i'm limited to 100 low lead so and then i'm on straight so floats fuel's an issue so fuel's an issue. i know you carry cans yeah <laughs> <laughs> well uh actually it's kind of amazing the only uh, place in Washington State to get 100 dollars lead on the water is at the north end of Lake Washington at Canmore Air. Wow. They quite graciously sell it to the general public. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get uh, 100 low lead at the south end of Lake Washington at Renton, but they have to pull you out. They have to pull you out yeah. at the ramp there. Yeah. 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 So it's, um, it is a challenge, and uh, it's not just Washington. I'm sure everywhere. talk about That's it. That's why everywhere. you see the proliferation of the amphibs. So. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that the AMPIP community is growing in Washington, and uh, I I like the straight floats personally because the performance advantage is huge. <laughs> there's a performance advantage, there's a cost advantage, there's a maintenance advantage. Uh, but um, I, you know, because of that, I have 150 gallons, 100 low lead at my house, where is where we keep the airplane when mm-hmm. it is on floats. Uh, we've got we live on a lake and 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 have a dock and a dolly system to get out of the water. So uh, I've kind of worked that a little bit, but you know once you venture a full tank away from your home base, uh, you're reliant on other means. Yeah, and and it can be. A you challenge. have to get creative. You have to get creative. So I've had some interesting conversations with members that have gone from straights to amphibs, and um, it was really fascinating. We spent a fascinating evening talking with these guys that. Both started with straight floats and they went on all these adventures and they ended up going to amphibs and um, they actually kind of regretted it many years later because they said it, it took out the 
spontaneity or the 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 unknown. Having amphibs, you always know you can go to an airport. You always know that if there's weather, you have a diversion location. You know that you're going to find a good hotel and a good restaurant. You have the option to go someplace where you can get that. And straight floats, they like the fact that they never really knew where they were going to end up or what the situation was going to be. And they said they actually missed that. And and I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what we as seaplane pilots look for a lot is this sense of adventure and and doing things a little bit differently. And so I really admire straight floats still. I think it it's there's a, a huge sense to me that makes sense that it's it's in the spirit of float flying, you know, of seaplane flying that you do have to think about it more. You have to plan more. And you might end up sitting out and waiting for weather on a lake or, you know, having uh, it, it just is a whole different experience, I think. You get spoiled by amphibs. <laughs> yeah, probably so. I, but it, it works for my wife and I because we, we're really interested in, in wilderness flying. Mm-hmm. So our deal is to get away from the facilities anyhow and to get away from the airports. Um, so it does work for us, but it, you're exactly right. It creates a lot of challenges. And there, there's been more than one time where I wish you know, I could pull those wheels out of the bottom of those floats <laughs> if they were there. <laughs> But you have to deal with it, and you do, and, and the, you're successful in that. So there's a lot of opportunities here. So number one, there's a great you know a regional association with WSPA. Uh, WSPA is very engaged with us on advocacy. You've, you've led your own way as well with WSPA and advocacy. You guys are doing splash-ins, uh, events, um, and uh, you provide a great resource uh, set of resources. So Again, I would encourage listeners, if they want to come up here to the Pacific Northwest, make sure you uh, look up the Washington Seaplane Pilots Association because they're a great resource to use in conjunction with our field directors at the Seaplane Pilots Association. In most cases, it's a complete overlap. You guys, the field directors are heavily engaged in uh, WSPA as well. So if you contact our field directors, you're going to get the, all, the, the additional side of having all the knowledge base of WSPA as well. Uh, but you also have commercial operators here. You have flight schools here. Uh, you have a lot of maintenance facilities and people that will actually do float conversions or sell seaplanes. Um, so there's a lot of resource. If you're interested in flying seaplanes, it's a great place to come do your single engine sea rating because of the options with the different operators that do training. Um, so I would really encourage people to expand their horizons and come up here and get to enjoy some of what you guys have to offer up here. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think there is a lot to offer, and uh, I think we're fortunate because uh, with the private operators, the largest being Kenmore Air, uh, and there's a number, you know, probably three or four other ones that are also significant. Uh, I think there's a really good community around around float flying, and uh, e- even though some of the facilities are private and operated and owned by Kenmore Air, if you call ahead and you ask. Uh, you know, can I use this facility for a brief time? And I'm not conflicting with your schedules. Um, it, it generally works out. And we are fortunate to have uh, the chief pilot for Kenmore Air on the board of Washington Seaplane Pilots yeah. Association. So uh, Chuck Perry brings his a very good perspective to our discussions about, about facilities and advocacy and aquatic invasive species from the commercial op- operator standpoint. Yeah, and we've got John Gowie, the director of operations on our board. And again, that's that well-rounded knowledge base that we're trying to create within the community. And I think we've been very successful in doing that. So 
what have we missed? What have we not talked about, Don, that we need to talk about before uh, we sign off today? Well, I feel like I should be talking a whole lot more about all the places to go in Washington, but that would take way too long. And doesn't I, have to be done in a single episode. No. We can have you back. <laughs> that would take way too long. Um, and I, I would probably be asked to reveal some secrets that I might not want to. (laughs) I do have a private lake that I'm trying to keep that way. (laughs) (laughs) Your honey hole. (laughs) Um, But I think the best way to sum it up is uh, it's, it's, it's really an exciting place to fly floats. It's a challenging place to fly floats. You'll learn. It's rewarding though. It's It's a rewarding. rewarding place to fly floats. And it's a great community. So if, if people are interested in coming out here or are flying out here and uh, want to get, be part of that community, we welcome you. And we welcome that conversation about where to go, where to get gas, uh, you know, what fa- facility works for you in your, in your configuration, whether it be amphibs or straight floats, flying hulls or what it, whatever it is. Uh, we welcome everybody out to the Pacific Northwest. Well, I look forward to having you back on the show so we can talk not only more about all the opportunities and maybe some of these destinations that we're going to have to drag out of you, but uh, also uh, to talk more about the 182 because I'm, I love the 182 as a float plane and I'd like to have more people understand what a great float plane it is because it's not necessarily the one of the more popular choices. And I think that's a shame. I think the airplane deserves more of that. <laughs> So, uh, Don, thank you so much for uh, making time to sit down with us here on an early Sunday morning uh, at a trade show that we both have to run to to go work at today. Um, I'd like to thank the listeners for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed a very special episode again on the road here in Puyallup, Washington at the Northwest Aviation uh, Trade Show and Conference. And until next time, fly safe, fly often, and we look forward to talking to you soon. We are so glad you joined us today. If you like today's show, I highly encourage you to join the Seaplane Pilots Association and become a member of the largest seaplane community in the world. Members receive Water Flying, the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community. And it's available in both printed and digital form. Your membership also includes access to the Water Landing Directory app, which has the Seaplane Flight School directory and a calendar of seaplane events, not only here in the United States, but around the world. The association hosts regular educational workshops, safety seminars, and gatherings for seaplane pilots and anyone with a passion for seaplanes. So look us up online at seaplanes.org join our community, and support our mission of protecting and promoting water flying.